the growing crop is a very dynamic place. Agriculture has come a long ways in finding helpful digital tools that provide glimpses into exactly what's happening in the field, but it's not yet the full picture. One of the biggest errors for sure in agriculture is not just the sensor or the sample from the lab, it's the spatial context. You know, what percent of the field and where is like where you put that soil moisture sensor or where you took that tissue sample. Dan Rooney of LandScan says what's missing is accurate site characterization, or what he calls basic infrastructure that level sets and ground truths all these various sensing capabilities. So we come in with this seven level system and we install that so that everything works better. There's a connection between the vegetation, the soil, the remote sensing, the modeling, the decision support, all of that is connected. It's all digitally synchronized. Rooney makes the case that site characterization is a critical missing piece for a lot of reasons, including for tools that rely on advancements like artificial intelligence. So there, the artificial intelligence is lacking because there's a disconnect between the vegetation data and the soil data. And the machine learning is almost impossible because you don't have those different information dimensions to do that deep learning. Dan Rooney of LandScan on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to sit down with the farmers, founders, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to take a quick moment and thank our quarterly presenting sponsor of this podcast for the fourth quarter, Sound Agriculture. Many of you listening are familiar with Sound Ag from when we featured CEO Adam Lytle on the show back in January, and it's a great time to talk about their source product because just about everywhere you look, fertilizer prices are high, and in some cases, availability itself has been a problem. So finding a better long-term source of crop nutrients going forward is, I know, on top of a lot of people's minds. Well, believe it or not, that nutrient source might just be your soil. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nutrients already in your fields, so you can apply less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. Source is a foliar applied biochemistry that activates soil microbes to unlock more nitrogen and phosphorus. It works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use to wake up the soil, sort of like caffeine for microbes. Visit sound.ag to learn more. That's sound.ag. And thank you very much to Sound Agriculture for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, now to today's episode with LandScan founder and CEO Dan Rooney. We could spend really the entire episode going through Dan's extensive background and expertise in this field, but I want to get right to the interesting work he's doing at LandScan, a company that's been working really quietly, stealthily since 2019. They've developed what they call the most advanced and practical site characterization and analysis technology. These multiple layers are a series of digitally synchronized tools and techniques that create a unique understanding of the relationship between crop performance and the growing environment, which is, of course, unique to every part of every field. Dan's going to tell us all about this in today's episode, and he really makes a compelling case for why this is a critical missing piece in digital agriculture. 
Just a little bit on Dan's impressive background here. He is a scientist, inventor, and entrepreneur who has a PhD in environmental monitoring with an emphasis on remote sensing and spatial information analysis from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. He also has a master's degree in soil physics from Texas A&M. Following that master's degree, Dan had spent his early career with a geotechnical firm where he built sensors for deep subsurface characterization. He was drawn to apply his discoveries from that field to near-surface applications, which of course led him to agriculture because that's what we're concerned about, the first couple meters of soil. After his PhD, he dove right into entrepreneurship. And that's where I'm going to drop you into today's episode, my conversation with Landscan founder and CEO, Dan Rooney. What I did was I started a company called Earth Information Technologies and hired uh, software engineers. And we started to do work with the state of Wisconsin and other governments, sort of about a landscape scale resource mapping. But at the same time, you know, this idea about building this soil mapping technology kept growing. And so in 2002, we spun off a company called STI, Soil and Topography Information, and we developed what we called the Soil Information System. And the Soil Information System was a continuation of the work I'd done with my PhD, essentially. But we developed a tip force, sleeve friction, and then a moisture sensor that was about a foot and a half up on the side of the, of the probe. By late 2001, we had a contract with John Deere, and then by 2003, signed a global license with John Deere to deploy this technology in connection with other technologies. They had an airborne uh, remote sensing technology that they brought in and weather monitoring technology that they brought in. And this ecosystem, from 2003 through 2007, we deployed uh, with John Deere commercially all over the US, Europe, Asia, North Africa. And we had crews out mapping and integrating with the remote sensing. And then the economy crashed and John Deere made the decision essentially to get back to basics 2008. And they discontinued this uh, division of technologies. And I was able to acquire the intellectual property and all of the hardware back that had been developed and tested from 2003 to 2008. And so in 2008, we had systems in China and systems in France and in the Midwest. And I brought them all to Northern California and we started providing mapping services up and down the West Coast in high value crops. So grapes, you know, orchards, uh, this type of thing. Was that still under the STI name? Yes, that was still under all under STI. And it was an interesting time. And there was a lot of demand. You know, we were as busy as we could possibly be doing these mapping services. So about 2010 or so, we started to notice more airborne remote sensing being delivered to the high value crops. Now, one of the things that the benefit of the, the remote sensing background is that I taught both at Texas A&M, but also at Wisconsin labs because I was a TA. And I learned a couple things at both places. At Texas A&M, I was a soil physics lab TA. We'd have two labs a week, and I would have to do the lab myself before teaching it. 
And so I did that for three semesters. So between that and taking it, I did 10 labs. And this was a, a senior level, graduate student level, about 20, 25 serious students, meticulous people. We had the best equipment. And so about half the labs, we would go to the field and run in-field experiments on uh, hydraulic conductivity, water holding capacity, density, you know, all, you name it, right? Using, you know, small groups, uh, they get the lesson, we break out, I do it as well. And the other half of the labs were in, in the lab itself and we do tests on hydraulic conductivity and water holding capacity, pressure, plates, um, all sorts of different tests, uh, hydrometer, pipette methods for texture. And what stuck out to me was how inconsistent, even given all of that, the data was, when you took the sample from the field and you brought it and you just essentially by collecting a sample, you're disturbing it from its in situ configuration, right? And you're moving it to a lab and in many cases you're destroying its structure, it's the way it's you know, put together, all those things that affect how the water and the nutrients move and transport and all that stuff and are stored. And so that really stuck out to me over time that, that even as careful as you can be, it mattered where you were in the field. You know, I, you could do the same test, obviously, but there's an assumption of some homogeneity that wasn't there. And so you get these different results. How did you discover that? How did you find out that it was inconsistent? Because I was the TA. I taught the lab, I lectured the lab, I ran the experiments, I took the class in the van out to the field. There was no professor, and the professor taught the lecture, I did the lab. I'm like, okay, here's the answer, because I've done this a lot, and I'm doing it right. And, you know, a couple people would match, and a couple of really serious, you know, conscientious students and groups would go, I don't know, I did exactly, and I was watching them. I wasn't like, at that level, you're not trying to fail people out. You're, you're trying to help people. So after 10 labs and then how many students? I mean, this is hundreds of observations. Like, again, the best equipment, the best procedures. And so it just stuck out to me that there's so much subjectivity in the understanding of soil that that had to be solved. That just stuck with me. But it was then I, the exposure to the geotechnical environment that I thought, oh, wow, you can collect an observation objectively, because if you want to run models or decision support or, or run analytics, right, you have to have objective, repeatable and transferable data. So you want to be able to not have the subjectivity, not only of the observation itself, but where, like you take a soil core, first off, people who think that soil coring is the answer have never taken that many soil cores. Okay, so I've taken thousands of soil cores and they always compact. The hole is always deeper than the length of the core, always. You don't know where the compaction happens. So if you say, huh, I'm gonna take a sample at 12 inches and I'm gonna send it to the lab. You don't know that it was at 12 inches, but also what's happening at eight inches, what's happening at 15 inches, right? So you might take them at one, two, and three feet, but there's a layer at two and a half feet or one and a half feet that's causing all the problems that you miss. So there's all this subjectivity built in. And then, you know, take soil texture. Let's stay with that for a second, right? You, you take a sample from the ground and you send it to a lab where they completely disperse the particles from one another, right? So all the packing and the orientation is destroyed. 
And then they have this procedure, right? Where you, the sand settles out and there's all these assumptions around this test. It's called Stokes law. And those assumptions are actually wrong. So by the time you get to what this texture is, yeah, you may understand what the distribution of, you know, particles of a certain size are, even that's even questionable. But what really matters is how they're oriented in the field. Is there organic, how much organic matter is around and what's the structure? All that context of being in situ is the key. So that was, that was something I really, you know, between the, the soil physics and then the geotechnical really stuck out with me. But then also this notion that in geotech, you can't practically take enough observations on a site. But in agriculture, you want to make a truly statistically accurate, spatially accurate map. And to do that, you have to, you know, take in statistics, there's a certain number of observations that must be taken. And so one of the big problems in the industry, you know, there's all sorts of advances in ag tech and engineering and science and analytics uh, that show that, you know, certain seeds or irrigation emitters or nutrient plans perform a certain way in the test plots. Um, but when you try to deploy those technologies to larger environments, there's no information infrastructure. There's no maps that exist that tell you how to deploy that technology, the emitters or the seeds or the nutrients, right? Because the maps aren't there. So what happens is the grower is forced to manage to that lowest common denominator. Well, they have to choose a number. And so they end up doing a one size fits all, which takes away a ton of optimization opportunity to not have sites characterized to that extent. The, the good evidence of, of the recognition of this in the industry is the creeping in of this term digital twin. So you hear a lot about digital twins now in agriculture. So the kind of the classic example that we can all relate to, the first modern you know, use of a digital twin was Apollo 13. So it was only because they had an exact replica of the space module and its communication system and its computer systems that they were able to troubleshoot and simulate and, and figure out, you know, how to save that mission. And so, you know, there's a lot of big companies right now, you know, Microsoft, IBM, Siemens coming into agriculture using this term digital twin. The problem is that an ag field where the optimization has to happen, it has to happen between the fences. An ag field does not have a digital twin unless you characterize it. It's not an engine. It's not a computer system. It's not a human body. So the analytics and the approach is there. The concept is there, but you have to have the digital twin. So our information infrastructure is the digital twin of the field. So every field's different, right? I mean, you may have the exact same soils on two adjacent fields, but they will absolutely be distributed in three dimensions differently. And until you understand that, both for physical properties, chemical properties, microbiological properties, and how those all affect the agronomy. All right. Uh, we've gone in a lot of different directions so far. So let, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to take these one by one and, and, and dig in a little bit here. So let's start with, let's hone in on this soil issue of, okay, you affect the properties of the soil with the way that you're gathering a sample. And, that, and that's a problem in agriculture. And you don't have the necessary context, as you described, to actually really understand what's happening. So, so let's go into, you know, your solution, which I know you call a digital soil core. 
what is that and and how does that help us solve the problem here? Okay. So one of the things that I learned between the degrees and the working in the geotech space and then mapping all over the world was that soil cores, soil pits, technologies that uh, collect bulk measurements like electromagnetics or electroconductivity, that those are not representative of the true soil profiles down to four or five feet. And, you know, I came upon that recognition over time uh, by digging hundreds of pits, thousands of cores, matching it up, uh, matching remote sensing data up with soil information. So the soil, uh, digital soil core technology that we have is a probe that has seven sensors on it. And it's the next generation, essentially, of the soil information system. I remember I said the soil information system had two sensors, a tip and a sleeve, and then a moisture up halfway on the side of the, the rod. So now we have moisture and salinity on the tip. We have the tip and the sleeve friction. We have a listening device that listens to the grinding, crunching, and scraping. As you push this into the soil, we call it the snap, crackle, pop sensor. We have a high-resolution imagery sensor, which gives us a three-micron resolution continuous vertical transect of the soil profile. Uh, we can get information from that on, of course, color, but porosity, structure, uh, redoxomorphic features, roots, mineralogy, lots of stuff. And then we also have a spectroscopy sensor. The spectroscopy sensor gives us information. Right now, it's visible through about 2,500 nanometers, which is deep into the infrared. We're adding an ultraviolet to that now, but that's not in the current configuration. So those seven sensors, we come in and there's different ways to deploy this technology, but the way we use it is what we call our platform for discovery. And it's seven levels of site characterization that occur. The first is satellite or other publicly available information. And that's pretty run of the mill. There's a lot of that out there, but you know, we do have agronomists, farmers, mathematicians, optical physicists on our staff. So we've done a really good job of going beyond the NDVI, the kind of the generic imagery. So our remote sensing uh, at that level one is very clean and analytical quality. But then level two is specific to that field. So it could be targeted satellite remote sensing that you pay for, customized, target your field, or airplane or drone. And it could be imagery, conventional imagery, thermal, could be uh, LIDAR, anything, but you're not touching the ground. So you come in and you do this screening. And the difference with our technology there, where we stand out in, in this, is that we're calibrating our imagery. So we're calibrating it spatially. We're calibrating it thermally. We're calibrating it spectrally. So when we come in, we're getting all these different dimensions of the vegetation. And so that's important because when you come the next time and the next time and the next time, if you don't have that calibration and you try to look at time series, you're stacking noise, right? You may use one calibration factor for that next series and that next series, but everything's changing differently because it's variable. And so we're very careful about being able to do that. So we have analytical quality data, not just on the snapshot, but over time. So we can use that that screening, the digital vegetation signature to say, okay, there's a field, let's, let's, let's use the ag example, right? You have a field and we're able to classify 
based on the spatial, we get hyperspatial. So we can look at the canopy architecture, the shape of the canopy, the changes. We can even see if the crop is pulling down on the canopy, we can see that, get some clue of the yield by looking at those things. But you classify that and then you say, okay, I've got you know seven classes of vegetation that are producing different types of quality or quantity of yield. Then you go to those with this digital soil core and you go directly under those plants or those trees. And what you're doing here is you're calibrating the response of the vegetation to its growing environment. So you get all seven layers of sensor data and it's giving you an entire new type of information. So it's not just telling you what's your texture at 12 inches, right? Because you could get the texture at 12 inches perfectly, but over here, it's that layer is eight inches thick and over here, that layer is 20 inches thick. And so you might be the same type of soil, but the response to the vegetation, given that different thicknesses of those layers is important. So the thickness of the horizons is another type of data dimension that we put into this. So we build this really interesting, you know, call it a platform for discovery. And we've made a lot of really interesting discoveries by doing this. Anyway, that's the levels one, two, and three. Level four, you simply take the digital soil core and you create a three-dimensional map. So you're, now you can go out in 90 seconds, go down to, you know, four plus feet. And in, a, you know, part of a day, collect enough observations in three dimensions to get a true three-dimensional understanding of that field. That's level four, because level five is where we use our technology to place observations in the right place. One of the biggest errors for sure in agriculture is not just the sensor or the sample from the lab, it's the spatial context. You know, what percent of the field and where is like where you put that soil moisture sensor or where you took that tissue sample. So you have to have level four so that you can understand that relationship between the spatial and the statistical. You might see a histogram distribution of two kinds of soil, right, on your field. But one of them could be the southwest corner, or it could be a soil property that's scattered across your field. Well, how you manage that depends. Might be the same percent of a soil, but in how contiguous is it will determine how economical it is. And so you, you know, you have these all these instead of one big knob on the soil, you've got lots of little knobs to kind of fine-tune and get those other dimensions. And so you have level five helps you take those observations for the moisture sensors or the nutrient sensors or whatever and put them in the right place so that you can do level six which is dynamic modeling and monitoring right so things like irrigation that change throughout the season you need to be able to trust the spatial distribution of your soil moisture sensors and how that relates to the plant and be able to dynamically model that because now you know on this part of the field you have a thin layer at 45 you know inches or at 15 inches that you don't have over here. So, you know, how you can manage that irrigation wise, uh, that gives you more options. And, you know, there's ways to come in and, and retrofit irrigation, but, you know, obviously in the long run, you want to be able to do this ahead of time. The final level is level seven, what we call root cause analytics. And that's where we build the database, right? You're taking in all this information you've collected, you're gathering information on yield, on plant performance, uh, which is you know important, but also behavior and permanent crops. You know the, the trees or vines can change and do things that's an indication of their performance in the coming five, ten years. So you don't just monitor the yield; you monitor essentially the health 
of the vegetation. And just to make sure I'm clear so that I represent everything correctly, the digital vegetation signature is the result of those seven layers of those seven steps. And so that's a different, oh, okay. The digital vegetation signature is a result of the remote sensing, the spatial, spectral, and thermal evaluation of the plant. That's the digital vegetation signature. The digital soil core is used to understand why that signature is what it is, right? And the root cause analytics is the thing that brings it all together. This, this seven levels culminates on level seven with root cause analytics, right? And that's the, the AI and machine learning component of this that's continuously improving by taking in the vegetation data. You know, one of the interesting things that in row crops, a lot of the ag tech accelerated, even though it's lower value, it accelerated because of the ability to collect yield maps. Uh, and so it wasn't until folks started seeing yield maps that they go, wow, I have the potential to change things, right? I have the potential to improve things. It was seeing that. Well, in permanent crops, there's no yield maps, right? They say, I've got this many tons off of 40 acres, but they don't know where it came from. It's too difficult. Now, there, there are technologies, of course, that are improving that, automation, but still it's going to be very difficult to do that. So our approach, another benefit of our technology is that Instead of a, a census, which is essentially what yield mapping is in row crops, you need to have a survey, a yield survey. So it's really important that you go to places where you know there's a definite connection. It's not random between the signature of the vegetation and the performance of that vegetation, right? The yield, you know, canopy volume, its relation to yield, etc. So you can then you can understand better how the yield is varying and, and go to select locations and take samples. And then just like a survey, you know, is practically statistically as good, you know, plus or minus whatever percent, there's no reason to have to go in. If you have this site characterization completed, there's no reason to have to go in and pick everything. Like you can, you can go to select locations that are representative of certain classes of that vegetation. Okay. Yeah, and if if I'm a farmer listening to all this, so let's say I already get satellite data, I, I pay a company to come out and, and do fixed wing imagery over mine, I've got uh, soil moisture probes, I feel like I've got data already coming out of my ears. Help me understand what difference this could make for me when I feel like I've already got this data, which I, you've already painted a picture, the data is, is maybe incomplete, inconsistent, inaccurate, but help me understand like what a difference this is going to make for me. Okay, so you gave a couple of examples there. You said satellite, you had gave an airborne uh, example. You talked about soil moistures, sensors. So right now, those pieces of technology are not connected. The remote sensing company does not have uh, soil sensing technologies. And the soil sensing companies do not have remote sensing technology. So one of the big opportunities that we missed 20 years ago, 15, 10 years ago, was we had the remote sensing technology called PurePixel that we developed in 2011 with a company called C3. And one of the things that we discovered uh, when airborne systems came into remote sensing was that folks were using the same paradigm from satellites, okay? So if an airborne company is coming in eight times in a season, and they're stacking their imagery to say, here's your cumulative stress, here's your cumulative whatever, right? That's the assumption. Well, 
actually those maps are inaccurate. But how does the unsuspecting grower or consultant, they don't know. That still looks like a pattern. But the problem is those imagery are not calibrated. And so it's noise. You know, how are you going to prove that? But the fact is that you have to take into account all of the noise that's in the image. When you're doing vineyards or orchards, you've got canopy, you've got shade, you've got cover crop, you've got soil, you've got different sun angles, right? All that stuff is happening that's not affecting you from a satellite. And so if you don't take those things into consideration, you do not have analytical quality imagery. Plus, now you don't understand what that imagery is telling you. Just because vegetation changes color doesn't tell you why, right? So what we are doing is we're taking this digital soil core, you could consider it like a way of calibrating the analytical quality imagery. So you start to understand this variety in this soil with this management is going to look and behave this way. And you can only do that if you have analytical quality imagery. So it's the bolting together, right? We never, we never bolted the pure pixel technology together with the soil information system. The soil information system te- uh, sensor system was mapping the soil. And then you'd come in and you'd get remote sensing data, but you weren't bolting them together. So it's that connectivity that, that makes it different. Now, how does this improve? You know, what's the benefit to the farmer? Well, you know, um, I've heard you say before the example of a lot of ag tech is like the plumber, right? Or the, the person who comes in and cleans your carpet, right? The farmer doesn't buy this technology, right? This is something that's installed. We install the information infrastructure. So once you have your fields mapped, right, the underground, then you can make better sense of the ongoing remote sensing because you understand the relationship between whatever variety that you're growing are you going to uh, produce small almonds, you know, so that they can go whole into see-through packaging? Are you going to produce medium-sized lemons, which are, you know, much more valuable than small or large lemons? Where is that happening, right? I mean, the whole field's treated the same. It's not random. It's because of the environment. So we can understand that relationship. And then the next time you plant, right, or if you want to change emitters or you want to change something, you know where to do that. And that's how you optimize it. I mean, the future of agriculture, you're not going to be flying over and see square and circular fields. You're going to see a sort of contouring, right? You're not going to go, if you will, against the grain. There's certain things you can change through management or through, you know, amending. There's certain things you can't. And so once you understand, if you have a thousand acres of almonds, and you understand that uh, there, you have about 250 acres, which is optimal for growing small almonds with a certain variety. If you irrigate it this way and you fertilize it that way, then you plant those and you manage those in that way in that 250 acres. And it may not be a perfect square, right? And with, with, our, with our precision technology, we don't have to operate in squares and circles anymore. Right. So you said you install the system. So, so how do you install a digital soil core? I, I, help us visualize that. What we're installing is the information infrastructure, right? So, so, you know, you inspect your home before you buy it. You really should inspect your land before you buy it or lease it or, or try to drive revenue from it, right? Or, or, you know, not want it to be a liability. So, just like you would install an irrigation system or any other sort of infrastructure, traditional infrastructure, that distribution of all of those physical properties, which dictate the chemical and the fertility properties, 
generally speaking, that's infrastructure. That's unique to that piece of property. And it doesn't change. It's, it's tangible. It's a tangible asset to understand how the, because now everything's going to work better. Your irrigation system, where you put your solar panels, where you put your retention ponds, where you plant different varieties, where you don't plant anything, right? That's, that's the information infrastructure. So we come in with this seven level system and we install that so that everything works better. There's a connection between the vegetation, the soil, the remote sensing, the modeling, the decision support, all of that is connected. It's all digitally synchronized. If you don't have that, then there's gaps. And you know, one of the, another buzz phrase you hear a lot is artificial intelligence in agriculture, machine learning. But you're limiting the power of the artificial intelligence by not having more information dimensions. If you're working with how does soil A and soil B relate to you know, the yield, but you don't understand, well, it's, it's certain things about soil A, it's certain things about soil B. So there, the artificial intelligence is lacking because there's a disconnect between the vegetation data and the soil data. And the machine learning is almost impossible because you don't have those different information dimensions to do that deep learning. But that's what we're doing is we're making everything work better, right? Because if you don't have the site characterized, you're not going to be able to do precision technologies. These technologies are all dressed up with no place to go. So you want to be able to get better answers from your data. You want to be able to you know, apply your nutrients intelligently. You want to be able to avoid trafficability issues. You want to be able to avoid other things that are going to cause the, the, the value and the quality of the crop to be compromised. Okay. Well, this has been great. I mean, it, I, I think it gets back to a question that I've asked here on the show in other contexts, which is there's no denying the need for more infrastructure in ag tech. You know, in your case, site characterization infrastructure. The question that comes up in my mind, and it sounds like for you, it'll be answered in the coming years is who wants to pay for it? So we have, you know, we've done some ROI examples, right? So a grower in California, in almonds, is now spending an average of $2,500 an acre for water. And it varies widely. Some places and some crops, it's way more than that. In some places, it's less than that. But that's the current average is $2,500 an acre a year. Okay. So if you have 10,000 acres of almonds, and you are being restricted on your use, and you have to take out 4,000 acres of almonds, you have an incentive to use the water that you have more efficiently. So a typical field, the irrigation set in almost every case is a one-size-fits-all irrigation set. Okay, So they're applying the spacing, the emitter type is the same across the whole field. And they're almost always, because it's a permanent crop, watering too much. Right? So they're spending $2,500 an acre. There's a few places on that field where they could spend $3,500 an acre because the soil will hold the water and the nutrients and they'll get more yield. But there's more places on that field where they're over applying. And so now you can tune, you can change the emitters. And uh, you know, talking to several irrigation companies right now, we've run the practicality of this. I've had evaluations done on this. So you can change the emitters. It's about $400 an acre on average to change all the emitters. 
you know, there's a lot of talk about 20% savings in irrigation, but unless you do this at the field scale, there's no way to extract this level of optimization. So you do get a huge return on investment in the first year because you can spend a lot less on your water, right? And get more yield for the water you're using. But it's only possible to change those emitters unless you know, you know, what that three-dimensional distribution is of soil water holding capacity is. If you're a seed company, right? And you are developing seeds, right? You wanna know how they perform in different environments. So that when you prescribe them, you would have this information infrastructure to make sure your seeding rate, your seeding variety, or your nursery variety is appropriate for that type of soil. You know, the cost, uh, you know, we're not selling this yet, but, you know, this ROI examples that I gave you on the irrigation, the cost was returned in the first year. So the cost of the mapping was less than the water savings in year one. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that at all. I, th I think what I have run into a lot from growers I talk to is that they're being told that, you know, every company that has a tool can solve that problem for them is what they're being told. Now, you've already made the very clear case that that's not accurate. Um, so it's somehow, it's somehow, and of course, I'm a communications industry, so this is how I think about the world. It's like, how do you communicate the story that uh, the gap between limitations of everything available on the market and land scan is where that ROI is truly captured. And, and uh, I'm not saying you, you can't do that. You probably can, but it's, it's, a, it's a difficult commercialization problem to solve. Yeah, well, again, it's, it's about, if you burrow down to the specifics like a soil moisture sensor, right? You know, you, you have to have that context. The, the makers of the soil moisture sensors want it to reflect the stress of the crop. So they want it to be in the right place, but if they don't know where to put it, after thinking about a lot, it's not a subtle difference, but this, this information infrastructure isn't data. It's your physical distribution of all of your attributes on your most valuable asset. And again, I think, you know, in terms of a premium for just having this information on your land, I think there's going to be a value in that. You had a speaker not too long ago talking about the premium associated with, you know, having digital information characterization for the land, you know, it limits risk increases opportunity. So I think there's an element of that, but really the practical down and dirty is if you are irrigating, if you are looking at variable rate fertilizer, any sort of thing you're going to do variably within a field, that technology will work better, whether it's any of those products are gonna work better if you understand where to put it. All right. Well, thank you so very much to Dan Rooney, founder and CEO of LandScan. You can learn more about what they're doing over at LandScan.ai. Of course, we will be sure to link in the show notes. Now, I haven't made this clear in several episodes, so I want to make it clear because this is a good one for me to remind you all. Uh, I am learning right alongside you. This stuff that we're talking about here, it spoke to a lot of other things that have come up on previous episodes, but site characterization and this approach to it is brand new to me. So uh, for those of you who are more experts than I am in this field, I hope uh, I asked the right questions and you aren't too frustrated that I, I missed any essential component. What will be interesting about LandScan, of course, is their, their new 
new, right? They're, they're just now commercializing so they could see some of this market discovery and product market fit. You heard several questions I had for Dan there about, about who pays and who exactly is the target customer for this type of thing. So from what I can gather, it's probably going to be more your irrigated crops, your specialty crops, your high value crops. And it's going to be those technology partners like uh, irrigation and other partners that want that site characterized so that their technology works better, as Dan was talking about. Anyway, interesting stuff there. I enjoyed that conversation. Thank you again, Dan, for being on the show. And thanks to all of you for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Thank you.